plummets some 180 feet at the American and Horseshoe Falls. Before the falls, there are violent, turbulent rapids. Farther upstream, however, where the river's current flows more gently, boats are able to navigate. Just before the Welland River empties into the Niagara, a pedestrian walkway spans the river. Posted on the bridge's pylons is a warning sign for all boaters. Do you have an anchor? Followed by, do you know how to use it? Faith, like an anchor, is something we need to have and use or exercise, especially in difficult and troubling times. Isn't that true? But do we know how to exercise our faith in such a difficult and troubling time? Do we know how to do that? It was no different in the life and times of Nehemiah. For he found himself in a difficult situation. We find ourselves in a difficult situation in the times in which we live. For Nehemiah, it was no different. It was a very, very difficult situation that he was in. The problem that the text that the problem is that if we look at the text that we're going to read this morning and just read it at face value, you're not going to fully understand what the problem that he was facing. You won't see his difficulty if you just read chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And so it raises the question, well, what was the difficulty, what was the problem that Nehemiah was facing? We are continuing our study in the book of Nehemiah. Last week we saw that Nehemiah was a deep man of prayer and that Prayer was, is the foundation of any restorative work that God is going to do in this world. But now he finds himself in a troubling situation. In order to recognize, in order to see Nehemiah's troubling, difficult situation, you have to look at the past. And in the past, I'm talking about the book of Ezra in the fourth chapter the book of Ezra precedes the book of Nehemiah in the Bible, but the events in the book of Ezra also precede the events of Nehemiah. During this fourth chapter, some of the children of Israel who were led into exile had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city. And they started doing that in the fourth chapter of Ezra. Unfortunately, there were people who were living within the land who were not happy with this building project that was going on within Jerusalem. They wanted this building project to stop these adversaries of the Jews. And so what would happen is that these adversaries wrote a letter to a particular king to get them Jews to stop the building project. The king at this particular, at that time, was Artaxerxes, the same king who's ruling during the time of Nehemiah. Okay? King Artaxerxes is the king in Nehemiah's time and in the fourth chapter of Ezra. Now, what happens is, is that the adversaries of the Jews write a letter to the king. 
And I'm going to read you the letter in the fourth chapter of Ezra because it's important to understand what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 2. This is the letter that the adversaries wrote to King Artaxerxes in the fourth chapter. Beginning in verse 12, let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it now be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will, pay, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom to the king's treasury, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now, because we receive support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers, and you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, and that they have incited sedition within the city in former times, for which cause this city was destroyed in the first place, referring to 586 BC when Jerusalem was destroyed. They went on to say, we informed the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. So they're clearly the adversaries of the Jewish people in Ezra's time don't want the city to be built. And the reason why is because it's going to affect the leadership and the influence of this particular king. It becomes political. Well, the king reads the letter and responds to those adversaries. This is what the king says. This is King Artaxerxes, the king who is reigning during the time of Nehemiah. This is how he responds to the letter that he received from the adversaries of the Jews. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me. And I gave the command, and a search has been made, and it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings, and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem, who have ruled over all the region beyond the river, and tax, tribute, and custom were paid to them. Now, Give the command to make these men cease that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, Shimshai the scribe, and their companions, the adversaries of the Jewish people, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased. Nehemiah knows this. So this is the context in which we find Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Nehemiah wants to build the city of Jerusalem and its walls. But he's going up against the king and his policy, which says it should not be built. That's a problem for Nehemiah. He's in a difficult situation, which raises a question. 
How does a person successfully exercise their faith in a time when policies are in place that conflict with God's mission in the world? That's the question. That's what Nehemiah is up against. He wants to further God's mission in the world by rebuilding God's city. That's God's will. But he's in a place where a policy is in, in effect says it can't happen. So how does he navigate? How does his faith exercise in such a situation? The way he exercises his faith is how we ought to exercise our faith in such a situation. Because we may be finding ourselves in a time in the future where we may be in such a situation. So, how does a person successfully exercise their faith in a time when policies are in place that conflict with God's mission in the world? Number one, in order to successfully exercise one's faith at such a time like this, one must overcome their fear. Verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. He becomes fearful. In order for him to exercise his faith, he has to overcome the fear that he currently experiences. Why would he be so afraid? Why is he afraid here? It is often mentioned that one of the reasons why he may have been afraid was because he's bringing wine before the king. And it was a breach of etiquette to go before the king and have a sad face. And this is a festive occasion. And you're not going to be depressed before the king. That's not, it would, he may take it as a sign of, you don't like my leadership? He may look at that as somehow an expression of not being happy with his leadership, and he may take a course of action that may not be best in the best interest of Nehemiah. That could be one reason why he's afraid. But more, more than likely, he's afraid because he understands the implications of what he ultimately wants, which is what? I want to go to Jerusalem and build the city. And he understands that he's going to ask the king that question, and he's afraid because he knows the king's policy is different than his desire. And what's going to happen if he asks the question, given his policy that's in effect? He's afraid. His fear may keep him from asking the question that he needs to ask in order to further God's mission in the world. He's scared. And he had to overcome his fear at a time when a king's policy was limiting or causing God's work or mission in the world to cease. That's very important. We must be able to overcome any fears that we have at such a time like that, if we're going to exercise our faith successfully in such a season. 
That's what Nehemiah does. Secondly, in order to successfully exercise one's faith at a time when policies are in place that are in conflict with God's mission in the world, one must wait upon God's timing before taking action. Verses 3 and 4. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when, when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Isn't that interesting? Nehemiah had been praying for months. He had been praying for four months prior to this. He started praying in the month of Kislev, which is November, December. Now he's about to ask the king what he's been wanting to ask all along in the month of Nisan, which is March, April. During that time span, he's been praying. But he never approached the king and asked the king, can I go to Jerusalem and build the city? He doesn't do that. Why? It wasn't time yet. He waited for the opportunity. How do you go before a ruler like that and say, oh, king, I want to do something that you don't want done, understanding that his own life may be in jeopardy. How do you approach such a situation? He's scared to do so. He doesn't know when to do so. So he's going to wait for God's timing to do so. And here, when the king finds out that he's afraid, and he says, well, how, 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 why, should I, why, why should my face not be sad? I've been praying for four months, and evidently, his prayer was starting to affect him. What was real inside of him was starting to come out in his facial expression. And the king picked up on it. He says, why are you so sad? Well, how could I not be sad when, when the place of my father's tombs is in waste and its gates are burned with fire? How can I not be sad? And some people think that that was calculative of Nehemiah. He wanted to know how the king was going to respond to him. And the king says, well, what do you request? That was the open door. What he had been trying to figure out is how can I go before the king and ask him this question has been now resolved. The king's question to him, what do you request, has taken the, the anxiety or the guesswork as to when should I approach the king and when should I not. The time was now ready, and that's evident because he prayed to the God of heaven. Why would he do that? Because he realizes now's the time to ask the question he's been longing to ask. He's going to pray for wisdom that he, God would give him the right words which, which, with which to ask such a question. That's what he's doing. A silent, quick prayer. God, give me the strength and give me the words because I'm going to ask this question now. Now's the time. His question, what do you request, is an open door for Nehemiah. And he realizes that now's the time to ask that question that he's been waiting for so long to ask. The reason why he was successful is because he exercises faith, and his faith waited upon God's timing with which to act. And that is so difficult to do, isn't it? To wait upon God's timing, especially if you're a person of action and you want to get things done right away. It's so difficult to wait upon God's timing and to trust in that timing before you act. Faith waits, faith is patience. 
and trusting upon God's timing. In such a situation, when we want to do God's work, we must be careful and be patient and wait upon God's timing. Faith will do that. And when we do, we will be successful in furthering God's mission in the world, particularly in a, in a, in a climate when policies may be in place that may be limiting or curtailing the work of God in the world. Thirdly, in order to successfully exercise faith at a time when policies are in place that are in conflict with God's mission in the world, one must show an ability to interact with people in a sensitive, diplomatic, effective way. Verses 5 and 6. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. Evidently, he asks the question, and he's successful. But did you notice his language? He never says to the king, can I go to Jerusalem and build the city? He says, can I go to Judah, to the place of my father's tombs, and build the city? Why does he use that language? Remember, the letter that Artaxerxes received long ago was Jerusalem. They wanted to cease the city of Jerusalem from being built. It had political connotations to it. And Nehemiah is very attuned that he doesn't want the king to realize that he has any kind of political ambition in going to Jerusalem to rebuild the city in order to take over or decrease the influence of the king. That's not why he wants to go there. He knows that if he uses the term Jerusalem, the king's going to think that, oh, he's got political reasons for going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Nehemiah knows that. So he uses language that will elicit the king's sympathy because he knows the kings of Persia were highly regarded and respected the tombs of their fathers. And so he plays on that and says, Why, wh- I want to go to Judah, not Jerusalem, Judah, and to the sepulchers, the tombs of my fathers. He was very, very diplomatic in his language, and he knew how to, he knew what words to use. He was very wise, not unlike Esther, who used the same technique in dealing with those who were in power. At a time that we live in a politically charged climate today, and if we're going to be successful in advancing God's kingdom in the world, we have to be very careful and sensitive and effective in the kind of language that we use. Because if we're not, we're going to be like Malchus, who has their ears cut off. Remember? Peter cut off Malchus's ear, and when you cut off people's ear, they stop listening to you. Nehemiah was very, very effective and sensitive to the way he phrased his words, and we ought to do the same in such a time. Fourthly, in order to, be, in order to successfully exercise faith at a time when policies are in place that are in conflict with God's mission in the world, one must prepare and plan in the present for the opportunities that God will give you to serve him in the future when those policies are changed. Verses 7 and 8. 
Furthermore, after the king had granted him permission to go to Jerusalem, he's emboldened to ask for more. And he says this, Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertain to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Isn't that interesting? After he is granted permission to go to Jerusalem, he makes two requests. I want protection and I need provisions. And apparently he knew what he needed in advance. You know why? Because he was prepared and was planning all along while he was praying. He was waiting expectantly for God to answer his prayer on his time. And when the opportunity came, he required certain things. From Asaph, for example, he said, I want beams so I can build the citadel that pertains to the temple, so I can build the, gate, the, the walls, and so I can build the house that I will occupy. Well, how did he know that? How would he know what he needed? He even knew the person's name, Asaph. Why did he know these things? Because he knew about these things in advance. Exercising faith, even in a time when policies are limiting God's work in the world, anticipates that it will change because God will do something. And when that opportunity came, he was ready and prepared. Faith will do that. Nehemiah was preparing the whole time he was praying in those four months. And when he had opportunity before the king, he was ready. Fifthly, faith that is exercised successfully in advancing God's mission in the world will upset others, particularly those who wield power. Verses 9 and 10. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Here we see that Nehemiah's faith, as he was exercising his faith in such a time, caused some people to be unhappy with his success and with his faith. Sanballat the Horonite was a governor. And Tobiah, the Ammonite official, was someone most likely who was serving under him. Both people who did not want the building of Jerusalem to go forward. And here comes Nehemiah with an entourage, letters that were given to him by the king, and he had protection given to him by the king. Clearly showing the other governors in the region who would have been opposed to this to say, no, he's got my backing. But all this to simply say that when our faith is exercised in advancing God's work and mission in the world, it's going to create some problems with some people. There's no way around it. And this is ominous for Nehemiah because this opposition is going to grow as the work of the kingdom grows in Jerusalem. This is how Nehemiah exercised his faith in a time where policies were put into effect that was limiting God's work in the world. 
such a time may happen here. And Nehemiah chapter 2 is a template by which God's people can exercise their faith in such a circumstance. Exercising one's faith in a difficult time is possible. And we need to be aware of that going forward. Doubt sees the obstacles. Faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the day. Doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes. Faith answers I. Even in the difficult times, faith believes. May we have that kind of faith moving forward in the difficult times, in the difficult days in which we live. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word and for the faithfulness of Nehemiah in the difficult days in which he lived. And Lord, we recognize that we too uh, live in difficult times and difficult days. We ask, Lord, that the faith that Nehemiah demonstrated in his walk with you in such a time would be imitated by your people in the here and now. Help us, Lord God, to overcome the fears that we may have in the times in which we live. Help us to trust you, to wait upon your timing, for your timing is always, always perfect. Help us, Lord God, to be mindful of the language and the words that we use. Give us wisdom. May our words be seasoned with salt, always seeking to build up and to advance your kingdom in this world. Father, we thank you for all of your blessings. We thank you for the gift of faith. And we pray that you would give us more of it, both today and in the days ahead. And we'll give you the glory for all that you do in and through us for the furtherance of your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Our closing worship song.